BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, it's a majorly awesome part two. Lars Fredrickson of Old Firm Casuals of, uh, I guess, Rancid. You know, we should probably get that one out of the way, too, uh, of The Forgotten, of, you know, tons more. But we will get to some of that in a second. This is an amazing episode, everyone. Buckle your seatbelts. Get ready for this one. Uh, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. And you will find an email address there. You can send me an email. You will also notice, though, at the top of the page, there is a tab that you can click that will take you to... Tour dash taupe live, and you will see that I am taking Turn Out of Punk on tour. That's right, coming to a city near you if you live in one of the following cities on December the 12th, next Monday or this Monday. Uh, we're going to be at the Great Scott in Alston, Massachusetts, playing with uh, or performing with or podcasting with. The following, Josh Cantor, who uh, is a, an amazingly awesome, funny person. You probably know him if you're a Best Show fan from The Best Show. But if you're a sports fan in Boston, you probably know him as the person that lays down the sweet, sweet organ sounds for the Boston Red Sox. And he will be joining there, uh, joining us at that show. Uh, also joining us at that show is my good buddy, Greg Lockinout. Greg uh, from the band Mental one of the most important, influential people, in my opinion, in hardcore in the last few years. Certainly the hardcore scene that I kind of came out of. Um, and also just like an, an awesome, awesomely funny person. Also at that show are Chris Menacucci, a.k.a. Cooch, who's been in, 
Oh, I could run through the all the bands he's been in, but it would take the rest of the show. But Righteous Jams, Mind Eraser, uh, Close Call, all sorts of awesome stuff. Also, Chris Corey, who has been in uh, Magic Circle and Mind Eraser, and then and there's more. There are more people coming to that show too. But that's just the first batch. The next day at the Black Cat in Tuesday. On Tuesday, December the 13th, in Washington, D.C., there will be Turned Out of Punk Live. And at that one, it will also feature my good buddy, Jason Hemacher of the, uh, well, Frodis of Battery, of a unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable episode of Turned Out of Punk. So he's be making his triumphant return to the show. Also joining us will be Dante of Iron Cross, of Ignition, of Grey Matter, and Alec Mackay of uh, Untouchables, and of Faith, and of Ignition, and of The Warmers, and my gosh. And there's more people that are going to be added to that one, too, including my good buddy, Tom Bryan, will also be joining us on that show because we will be doing a very special taping of Clobberin' Time, the Turned Out of Punk Wrestling Podcast, hosted by himself and myself. So we'll be doing that show there, too. There's other people that will be added. Speaking of cool shows, the next night on December the 14th, Wednesday, at Johnny Brenda's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I will be doing another Turned Out of Punk Live, this time, though, featuring Jeff Cannonball, Star of Bloodlust, Tournament of Death, the documentary that I made for Vice about deathmatch wrestling. I'm not going to plug that again, so if you haven't seen it, check that thing out. Also, returning to the show after his unbelievable episode, check that episode out. It's a fantastic one from a couple weeks back. Also joining him, though, will be Andy Nelson, one of my closest friends in punk who has somehow avoided being on this show until now. Plays in Paint It Black, plays in Ceremony, touring member of Lifetime. Also joining us on that show will be Jay Goldberg of the band Bad Luck 13 Riot Extravaganza and of Eat the Turnbuckle, who are without a doubt the most intense band I think I've ever seen in my life. And now I can confirm... Also joining us at that show is Dan Yemen of the band Lifetime, of the band Kid Dynamite, of the band Painted Black, and, and, and a bunch of others, too. But this is going to be an incredible, it's going to be an incredible, incredible evening. Come out and check that out. And then finally, wrapping up the tour, the next night in New York City on December the 15th at Rough Trade in Brooklyn, New York. It's a holiday party of sorts. It's going to be well, like a turned out of punk holiday party of sorts, and it's also like a belated hundred episode party because this is kind of like a who's who of episodes that people have been asking for a part two of. Joining me on stage that night for the show will be one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Andy Capper of Vice, an, an unbelievable director. Also, check out his episode; it's one of the funniest ones we've done. We've done. I've done, you've done, we've all done, we've all been a part of it. We're all part of this thing. Uh, also on stage that night will be Michael Alago, another incredible alumni of the show, someone that has had a significant role in the course of music history, and that's said without any hyperbole, from the young age, uh, being the fan club president of the Dead Boys fan club, to 
ANRing the signing of Metallica and Tracy Chapman. And uh, he's got the best stories in the history of music. And he's going to be there joining us on stage that day. Also joining us on stage that day, someone that people have been clamoring for the return of the probably the most critically acclaimed episode in Turned Out of Punk's brief history, Meredith Graves of formerly, well, I guess still, I gotta, what? I gotta find out what the status is of Perfect Pussy, but of Perfect Pussy, and now I guess most why known famously, I guess how do you put that for being on MTV, being a reporter on MTV, and yeah, killing it on MTV. You know, she was she all over media, all over social media this year and someone who is a amazing friend. Someone I look up to and respect the shit out of, and she will be joining us again on the show. Speaking of someone I respect and look up to and cannot wait to have back on the show. Also joining us in New York is Walter Schreifels of the band Gorilla Biscuits of the band Quicksand of Youth of the Day of Warzone, of Project X of oh, <laughs> like I, like some of my, some of seems like most of my favorite bands of all time, or at least a a good chunk of my favorite bands of all time, and one of the most I don't know enjoyable people to hang out with. I I find in any sort of music setting, I love getting to see this guy, and I cannot wait for you to get to hang out with him and me on Turn It a Punk live in New York. And last but not least, joining us the. The real sort of spiritual inspiration of this show in a major way, Tom Sharpling of The Best Show, of, uh, you know, of a friend of Tom fame, which I am a card-carrying member of. Literally, I carry a card around in my wallet that says I am this man's friend. Tom Sharpling will be joining us at Turned Out of Punk Live in Brooklyn, New York. Whoosh. These are going to be awesome. I am super excited. Anyone who has listened to this show for any amount of time knows that, well, apart from the intros and the extras, which I don't enjoy doing that much, I love doing this show. I love getting to punish people about their punk pasts and their punk histories. And this is a great assortment of people I've never talked to, people I've been trying to talk to, some people I've never met but I've been fascinated by for a long time. And then other people that I'm really good friends with or other people I've gotten to meet through this show and people that I've had cool conversations with. There's other people that I would have loved to have on too, but it didn't work out timing-wise. And people, I uh, slipped my mind and now I'm just like, shit, why didn't I also ask them? And, you know, there's other people that are going to be coming in to be added to these things too. But anyway... This is taking forever. Go over to DamienAbraham.com and buy your tickets and come out to these shows and, you know, I'll see you there. Grab a t-shirt, you know, we'll, uh, we will have a fun conversation about music. That is what I can promise you. Whoosh. Okay. Also, if you want to find me on other forms of social media at left for Damien, uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with us here on the show in another way, you can go over to facebook.com and there's a turned out a punk Facebook page that's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You can, uh, like it and 
do you like you like it on Facebook? That's what you do, right? Yeah, you like it on Facebook, and he you can send him a message. He'll get the message to me. You'll also see that we post stuff up on there that people send into the show, and you will get a chance to uh, bask in that glory. You know, and if you don't use Facebook and you still want to bask in the glory of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show, and you know other things like that, you can go over to Tumblr.com and there's turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com, and that will fulfill that need for you non-Facebook users out there like myself. If you want to support this show, please go over to iTunes, and if you use iTunes, that is, and subscribe to this podcast and write a review and rate it if you enjoy it. And while you're there, you'll notice there are some other podcasts in this podcast feed. There is Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is most germane to this show. It's hosted by Chris O'Toole and myself. And each week we dissect Turned Out of Punk and go into the nitty gritty of each episode. Like this week, we will have a lot to get to. We will have a ton of stuff to talk about after this Lars episode. Also up there, you will see that there is Clobberin' Time, which is hosted by the aforementioned Tom Bryan and myself. And each week we go into pro wrestling and, uh, you know, just dive into it and and really kind of uh, talk about professional wrestling. Not each week, kind of every few weeks. Also every few weeks, there is a podcast called Oil and Flowers, which is hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself. And on those, on, on that show, I should say, uh, we kind of talk about cannabis and only cannabis. We don't kind of talk about cannabis. We just talk about cannabis. So if you enjoy cannabis, if you're a medicinal cannabis user, or if you're a recreational cannabis user, or if you just just are really curious about cannabis and uh, above the legal consumption age in your area, check out that podcast. <laughs> you will enjoy it. Um, and that's that's it for those podcasts. Um, and you will find them all on iTunes. If you don't use iTunes and you want to support this show, tell your friends. If you enjoy this thing, tell all your buds. Be like, buds, there's this podcast. I think you might like it. I think we should go out and check them out on this live tour that they're doing as well. That would be a good use of our time. Right, buds? Yes, buds. It would. Uh, Also, if you want to support me in any other way, check out some of the stuff I do over at vice.com. The aforementioned Tournament of Death Bloodlust documentary. I strongly recommend if you have a strong stomach because it is a little gory at times. Yeah, to say the least. Um... But yeah, that is that for that stuff. I also got to say thank you very much to Rode Microphones for giving me these awesome mics. And I'm going to have mics for the tour. And they did that for free. So, and I cannot stress enough that these mics are very easy to use. Because I am an uh, idiot. And I have somehow figured out how to record with these things um, very easily. So, there you go. Thanks again to Rode for giving me these. And that. That, that's it. I think that's all I got to do in, in this regard, right? No. Also, yeah, if you're a fan of Fucked Up, the band I play in, go over to fuckedup.cc. We're playing some shows coming up, including a, a giant, crazy festival thing in Detroit coming up with Black Dahlia Murders and uh, uh, Suicide Machines and Mustard Plug and Municipal Waste. And uh, there's, there's more. There's tons more bands on that. So go over to fuckedup.cc. You can see all that kind of stuff over there. And, uh, yeah, no, that, that is over. That is all I have to do right now for this show. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to today's episode today on the show. 
Lars from Rancid is back on the show. And Lars from Old Firm Casuals and Lars from, you know, all these amazing bands. He is someone that uh, I got to interview last year. Uh, he said, you know, I, I want to do a part two whenever you want to have me on. The other day we were just texting back and forth. He's like, I got nothing to do. What about that part two? And I was like, how can I refuse? So we just recorded a part two there and then. And it's awesome. He goes into a lot of stuff. And I am able to go into a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to know about. This is the period of Rancid that I kind of became aware of him on, you know, when, when he joined the band. So this is an episode that focuses on just when he leaves the UK subs to just when and out come the wolves is about to come out. So once again, we get a very brief period, but it's a very long conversation about that very brief period. Uh, there's really nothing for me to do now, but let you enjoy this because this is a, this is an awesome one. He is an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. So everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy Lars Fredrickson of the band Old Firm Casuals, Rancid, uh, tons more on Turned Out a Punk. Lars, thank you. Yes. Thank you again for coming back on the show and doing a part two. This is something that, uh, as I said before, it's been a long time coming, so we didn't get very far in part one. No, because we just were a couple little chatterboxes, right? So we didn't. <laughs> You know, and that's the thing about conversation, good conversation is it can just travel into different, um, different areas, maybe some places that you never thought you were going to go. And mm -hmm. I think we went there. Absolutely. And well, I think this is also the point where, you know, like this is the point where I kind of become a little more familiar with, uh, you from a fan perspective. So this is also going to move probably even slower this time because <laughs> now I have actual questions that I've wanted to ask for, you know, 20 some odd years. So. Right. Well, here I am. You okay. Met your second call. Let's dive in. So I guess we left it. Uh, we were just discussing, uh, you had kind of like everything had kind of fallen apart with the UK subs and yes. you, you had moved back and yeah. I don't even think we got in. How, how familiar were you with like operation Ivy and, and that kind of, and like, you know, Tim and Matt stuff prior to meeting them or had you met them? Well, you know, you know, it's being down in the South Bay, um, op, we knew Op Ivy, we knew about Crimp Shrine, we knew about a couple of the other bands, um, you know, and uh, Op Ivy always had our respect, you know, because it was different, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was, uh, it was ska and it was punk, you know, was, and, um, so we, we, I knew of the band and had the record, you know, so I was in a band at the time with this dude who had the record and that's how I got turned on to them. Cause he would go up to Gilman a lot and I never really frequented that place until a little bit after, Oh, well, actually before I probably joined, you know, the subs or whatever, I went up there a few times, but it wasn't like really a go-to place for me. Um, just because of, you know, I was 65, 70 miles South of that. Yeah. And, and we had our own scene, you know, which was definitely way more, it was totally different than any uh, scene that was happening up in, Berkeley or in San Francisco, you know? So that, that's the thing about California that I've always found so amazing is like, it's, it's like the diversity. It's almost like England in that way where it's like, you can go it like, you know, a hundred miles and you're in a different world. 
Well, that's pretty much when you go down south to the South Bay, it's a totally different world than living in San Francisco or living in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our, you know, like I always try to explain it is, and, and I'm not trying to throw us off on the side, but our proportion of professional sports team down there for years was pro wrestling. You know what I mean? It's yep. like, <laughs> you know, that, that we didn't have a, you know, we had the San Jose earthquakes, of course, that, you know, the, the soccer team and whatever, but, uh, and we got the sharks in what, 90, 91, whatever it was. And, um, but there wasn't really a lot to do down there as a kid. You know, you would go and see punk shows. You had bands that down there like Ribsy and Los Avidados and the faction. And we had our own little scene down there that wasn't, you know, Berkeley was always way too fucking PC. You know what I mean? You had to, you know, you had to kind of walk in eggshells there. San Francisco was always, you know, a little bit fucking we're the coolest and you're not. Mm-hmm. And even though everybody was probably from Portland or whatever, you know, so, <laughs> um, you know, so, it, you know, all the scenes, I mean, you would, you would see a bunch of people from different places at bigger shows, you know, in the early eighties, you had people from everywhere, Fremont, Hayward. I mean, you had great bands from everywhere, you know, social unrest were from Hayward. Um, you know, so you, so, but around in the early nineties, you know, the whole thing with, with, uh, and I get, and I would have to probably say the, the Fagazi kind of era, you know, which I don't really, it's kind of like the fucking, it's, it was emo to me. That's what we called it. We called it emo, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, what we, you know, that was kind of their kind of trip, you know, it was kind of up north here and, and but we were guys, more, a little bit more violent so, down there. <laughs> but it's funny because, like, also, Rancid did have this, like, connection to kill rock stars and that, like, yeah. northwest, northwest scene early on, right? Yeah, um, we did that comp Rock Stars Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, Brixton. We did that Brixton, yeah, on that. And we, we actually recorded that with John Bradbury from the specials, the drummer. He produced it and he literally drank six beers while he was producing this and passed <laughs> out at the fucking at the, at the mixing board. And so we did that song and uh, we did two songs. We did Brixton and we did, uh, fuck, there was another song. And I don't know if it ever saw the, I don't think it saw the light of day. Wow. But we did, we ended up doing two songs there. But Brixton's Brixton amazing too. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I'm, that was just kind of, you know, just kind of spurred. We were in, in, in England, we were on tour. We had a day off. So we just, you know, went into the studio. Somehow he had gotten in touch with us. And, uh, yeah, I don't really, I mean, that, cause at that time it was, it was, you know, I, I don't really remember how that came about. But I just remember we get having a day off and we're driving to the studio in England somewhere and and recording at eight in the morning <laughs> and he was drinking beer. So there you go. God rest sorry. his soul. Sorry, did not mean to cut you off there with that digression. Yeah. But um, but anyway, sorry, you back to what you're saying. It was like a different scene for you down in the there, south. I mean, it was it was all different scenes. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. you had the the riot girl thing going off up north and um, an East Coast. It was all New York hardcore. And which I think that we, we probably, as far as our mentality and our spirit, <clears throat> we fit more with those bands than what was going on over here, you know, mm-hmm. it was rancid anyway. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, how did you kind of first, you know, meet those guys? Like, I guess what band were you playing in at the time when you came back? Or did you start something right after the UK subs? Yeah, I was in this band with uh, the guy who actually got me into punk rock. Um, this guy, Sean. 
And when he moved, and I, I think I probably talked a little yeah. bit about him moving from San Luis Obispo or whatever. Yeah. So I, I came back. I was living in Hayward. You know, I wanted to do something. And we played in this band. We got a drummer, blah, 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 blah. And we actually played one of our first shows at Gilman Street with Rancid. No. When Rancid was still a three-piece. And I remember my friend Ben Zanotto who was on there. He was waiting for me. Um, he, I have to say that sometimes, um, <laughs> but, uh, he, he, uh, he was, ta- he, he went and saw the rancid DOA show at the Gilman street. And he goes, dude, you got to check out this band called rancid. And, um, it's the guys from op Ivy. And so blah, blah, blah. It just, it just so happened that we ended up playing with them, like literally maybe four or five months later. Mm-hmm. And this was like 90, probably 92. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably 92. And, um, we played the show. We opened the show. We were, we, we you know, um, that's all I kind of remember about it. They headlined, they were great. They were still a three piece. Um, then about maybe six months after that show. And this is still like 92, I want to say it was October. I went up to, to the Gilman Street for a UK sub show. And um, the UK subs ended up not showing up. And Brett Reed was at the show. And we were hanging out and sitting in the back of this truck. And we just started talking. And he's like, yeah, we're looking for another guitar player. And I said, fuck, I'll do it. You know, because I had seen the, you know, Rancid, and I was like, fuck, I want, you know, they were good, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'll do it. And he said, okay, well, give me your number. So I gave Brett my number. Because so my first interaction with any guys in the band, you know, other than the the, the hellos at the show. Yeah. Um, was with Brett. And so Brett took down my number, gave it to Tim. And then Tim called me about... I don't know, four or five days later. And he's like, Hey, um, this is Tim, you know, from Rancid. I heard you want to join my band. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to join your band. He said, well, we're in LA. We're recording the first record or starting the demo or something. I don't remember what it was. Can you come and meet us and practice with us? If I send you like the set, they had the seven inch out on lookout and then the demo tape. Um, which had like about uh, 12 or 13 songs, a lot of songs. I think they ended up on some bootleg called Demos from the Pit. Okay, I think uh, I would be, full disclosure, I think my brother owned that bootleg. Okay. <laughs> so it had instant. I mean, but I think that it, it, there was uh, on that bootleg, there was a couple of the songs that actually that I learned that weren't on that bootleg that I have on the cassette tape somewhere. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and it's like, I think Institution was one of the songs, and then. Um, what was the song? Uh, oh, fuck. I, 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 I could, I could honestly sit down and play them for you right now and, and, and try to s- sing them. But uh, some of the songs like, um, like Hyena wasn't part of a part of it. It was the, I'm trying to think of the songs that were on the demo that were on the first record. I think unwritten rules was on there. Um, uh, let's see what else? Uh, Detroit, 
maybe. Okay. I don't know. I would, I would have to kind of just, I honestly, like I'm totally unprepared to thinking about that right now. No, no, don't worry about it. But I sat down and I, and I had, you know, I learned the seven inch, which had, I'm not the only one and, and all that on it. And then I was listening to the tape. My brother, I remember my brother goes, walks in and he goes, and I was listening to one of the songs that Matt Freeman was singing. And my brother goes, so you join in a skinhead band? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, the singer, he sounds like a big black skinhead. Is he a big black skinhead? I'm like, I'm like no. This is Matt Freeman. And he goes, ah, cool. This shit sounds tight. And I was like, thanks, whatever. So anyways, about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, he came back in the room and he goes, dude, he goes, if you don't join this band, I'm going to beat the fucking shit out of you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Because what he was trying to say to me is get the fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. Because this band is good and just get the fuck out of here. You're going to go nowhere here, you know? And uh, that's kind of, you know, in retrospect, kind of the way I've seen it. But at the same time, I kind of felt it, you know, at the time mm-hmm. that it was going down. So I basically just, you know, pursued it. So I learned all the songs. I go up there one day when we practice, we were supposed to practice. And I sat in Tim's room and he goes, can you show me this song? So I just played the song. Can you show me this song? I played the song, whatever. You know, I nailed it. I mean, I was just, I, you know, I, I, that's all I did is I just yeah. sat in my room for a couple of days and learned every single song. I said, this is the only song I did. You know, I have had a little problems here and he goes, Oh, this is what I'm doing. I was like, Oh, okay, whatever. So we go and we practice the first time with the full band and, uh, it was flawless. Like we, we, it was a good practice, you know, like it felt like it was right. And they're like, okay, well we're doing this record, you know, for epitaph. So this is 92. Mm-hmm. I want to say November, December, maybe, um, we're doing this record for Epitaph, you know, what do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Hey, let me earn my spot. So on and so on and so forth. And they said, cool. So they went down to LA, finished the record, checked in with me. Um, in the meantime, uh, you know, there was a moment there where that probably wasn't going to be in the band because of my drinking. <laughs> I remember you reading and- about that in details magazine. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty gnarly night, but it was an average night for me, which is the funny part. <laughs> well, I was so, going to say, like, at this point, like, were did you kind of like have, like, not that you had to be cocky, but you were like already coming out of being in one of the most seminal punk bands of all time, right? Like, did, did you have this kind of like, did you like know that you could be good going into that audition? Like, you knew that you had this kind of in the bag. Well, no, I mean, because I didn't, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, is the guy that they, you know, I mean, you know, I, I was obviously a little nervous just because, you know, you're playing with, 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 with guys who've been doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I was sure of myself at the same time because, you know, um, I, I just, I just figured like, you know, this is punk and and that's what I am. And, you know, yeah. I just... You know what I mean? I, I I thought the thing about Rancid that really st- stood out is that n- nobody sounded like them. Nobody was playing music like them. It was all that fucking emo shit. 
<laughs> you know, it was like, you know, I mean, not trying to take away from, you know, the bands that were happening at Gilman Street at the time, but I wasn't fans of fucking Econo Christ or, or any of those bands. I not Econo Christ? That's no, good. I, of all the bands to say. Well, I mean, I knew, I know Ben, and Ben's a great guy, yeah. but like, I wasn't a fan of his band. I, yeah. I wasn't a fan of Filth. I hated that. You know, I was just like, that just sounds like bad metal to me. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I, I just, I mean, I, sure, I, I, you know, I I, 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 I see Filth more than Econochrist, but I, I, but I, that's just my own personal hang-up. I do not mean to digress us. No, no, no. I, but it's not. It's not. I understand. I mean, I, no, got, I totally. Dude, I fucking. I was a skinhead when I was eleven. Yeah. No. I just. Listen, it, you know, it, I wanted to listen to fucking Oi and yeah. something I can sing along to. So when you had this other kind of, you know, stuff that was going on and lyrics, I could not fucking relate to. It was obviously, <laughs> you know, they weren't street kids. They were, you know, it was. Yeah, it's not your punk. Kids. It wasn't your punk. Yeah, I no, understand. I mean. It was, it was like college kids trying to be street kids. And I'm not, it's not like a, it's not a dig. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just the way I saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that I judge them for that, but it just, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, resonating with me like the last resort kid or, <laughs> or, or black flag or, you know, you know what I mean? It, or the Ramones or, you know, it just wasn't, what about special duties? Were like, were you a fan of them at all? Oh yeah, I mean that's, I mean that's the kind of shit I was a fan of. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> of course. Tim Tim yeah. played in them for a minute too, right? Oh, special forces. Special forces. Sorry, that's something. Special forces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I I knew what you meant, but you know. I apologize. Um, yeah. Special duties is, was also a great band too. So. Special duties um, was a great band too, but no. Special forces. Yeah. Were you a fan of special forces or? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I'm still friends with Orlando. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I haven't seen him in a long time, but you know, he was like fucking. You know, he was the big black skinhead. My brother thought I was joining the band with. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know what I mean? Like, like I, that was the kind of music I wanted to play. I didn't mm. want to play, you know, this kind of weird, like arty. Um, I don't, I don't know. I just, it, like I said, it just didn't resonate with yeah. me. Like, you know, I loved Grimple, like Grimple and Grimple came out. I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, this band is, is tight because they were fast. They were punk and then you could sing along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about so, like, um, were you like, the, like rabid Lassie or, um, no, no pride or any of that stuff? No, I guess it was too straight I'd edge. You, I'd love to pride. I mean, they were great, but with Eric Ozine, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. um, and I loved the, the hardcore shit. I loved Sick of It All, Agnostic Front, mm-hmm. you know, Madball, Murphy's Law. Anything that was from New York, I, pr- I pretty much liked because I liked the attitude because that's, you know, San Jose was the fucking New Jersey of California. You know, it's like, so it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really that fucking, you know, far of a stretch. <laughs> I can see that. You know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I, I, I gravitated to more of those types of bands because that's what I was feeling, you know, and that's where I was in my life. You know, it's like I wasn't going to sit around, smoke a joint, talk about my problems or my feelings with you. I was going to punch you in your fucking face, you know? Yeah. And I remember pushing, you know, Chuck Chickenhead, I thought was talking some shit to Tim. So I just went up and I fucking just slammed him and he just fell right on his ass on the ground. And Tim's like, what are you doing? And I was like, he's talking shit to you. And he goes, no, we're just we're just talking about the show. And I was like, oh. You know what I mean? Like that was my first instinct is just to fucking punch a person, you know, like 
that's where my mentality was. And it took a lot to get that out of me. Yeah. You know? So, well, you know, that's just where I was, you know? Well, and I kind of wanted to get to this way later in the, in the conversation, but something that's come up and I brought this up to you in text off air, but one of the reoccurring themes on this show is almost Lars as, uh, as punk therapist or punk priest <laughs> helping people get over like, uh, issues that they have. And like, you know, this is like people that I haven't met, like the dude from good Charlotte, I think wrote something in their liner notes for one of their records about mm. the role you played in helping him soothe his savage soul. And also in, uh, the, uh, CM punk documentary, CM punk talks about the role you played in helping him come to peace with everything that had happened to him. And then also yeah. Craig Ferguson, when he was on this podcast, talked about how he had carried around punk rock guilt his whole life until meeting you and how you were able to kind of be like, you're still, you're still punk. Is, is this like role that you're kind of playing in all these various people's lives, <laughs> diverse group of celebrities lives. Um, is it because you had to come through so much stuff yourself and, and find kind of like an inner peace yourself? Do you think I, you know, I, I you know, I, I can't really take credit for, for, you know, they give you credit. You don't have to take it, Lars. They're giving it to you. Well, that's that's very nice of them to say, and 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 um, you know, I appreciate that. But I, I think that you know, I've just been the type that speaks my mind, and and I'm and I'm honest. You know, like I don't. If I feel like a, you know, if I feel a certain way, I mean, my wife probably knows this better than anybody. I'll speak my mind. You know, like I, I don't really pull punches. You know, I've just never been that that kind of kind of guy. Um, I think for me personally. You know, growing up the way I did with the environment that I did and not really knowing that what I was growing up in was fucked up, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I just thought it was normal. You know, I didn't, I did, you know, because I had nothing to compare it to. Right. So and it wasn't until, you know, I kind of got out of that and sobered up and and saw kind of what my value was. And I don't mean that like financially i just i mean like just my value to myself you know yeah um that's when i i think i kind of just started to to, <clears throat> to change <clears throat> and introspection you know the introspection you now there was there was many a times it's like you know i've been married i've been divorced i've had my brother pass away you know i've had my good friends killed um you know i've seen you know i saw my first fucking dead body at fucking six years old you know and, um, you know, it's just, I think just those experiences, you just kind of realize that this is also fucking temporary, you know, in a lot of ways. And, and why waste your time giving a shit what anybody else thinks? And most importantly, you know, I can beat myself up on so many decisions I've made in my life, but what's the point, you know, like, what's the point of that? You know? And I think, you know, with Craig and, and, um, you know, Craig's a great dude and a funny motherfucker, you know, and we, and we had some mutual friends, you know, and, um, you know, I just, I think just, just being able to just talk about our life experience, you know, that's, that's the thing that kind of helps us at the end of the day. You know, I mean, it's just kind of trying to relate our life experience. And, um, you know, for me, I just don't take anything for granted. You know what I mean? Like, what I've got, where I come from, and what I have now are two totally different worlds. My 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 children won't know the world I I grew up in, and and I'm and I'm fortunate and thankful for that. But I'm still that same fucking working poor kid, 
from Strom and Palms in Campbell, California. And it's, you know, not the fucking toughest place in the world, but it was, you know, it was, it was, it was tough for me in certain times, but I, you know, I think life experience is everything. You know what I mean? Like my worldview, just leaving the United States of America and seeing how the other world, part of the world leaves, you know, Europe and Japan and different cultures, you kind of get a broader perspective on, on the world and what it is. And, you, you know, you, you don't vote for, vote for Donald Trump. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Uh, unfortunately not everyone gets to travel, I guess. Um, well, you know, I think what it is, is just, it's, it's this culture of fear and the culture of, you know, they say, you know, the older you get, the more in fear you get because, you know, obviously your body starts to break down and you probably get more responsibilities and more things and, you know, you have kids and you want to protect and it's like a psychological thing. And, you know, it's, I don't want to turn this into a political Fucking, I mean, you know, the choices over here for, I was a Bernie guy. I mean, straight up, I'll just say it now. But like the choices that we had over here and the way, I mean, you can blame so many fucking thing, people and things and places. and But Donald Trump is the answer to the PC fucking United States. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, again, I think we're going to have something similar in Canada eventually because there's like, uh, we had Rob Ford, right? So it's not like there's an immunity to, to this kind of nightmare scenario in Canada or anything like that. Well, I mean, it's just people, I mean, you know, you, you, I I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's as a spectator and that's the only way I can look at it now. I mean, the election's over, there's nothing you can do. But as a spectator, you look at it and you just realize the the things that played into this for so many people and so many people um, were just pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they didn't they didn't they 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 reacted on emotion. They didn't react with their brain, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying either person would have done a better job. I mean, I'm just hopeful that this motherfucker says what he does, you know, you know what he was saying. I hope he does. But. You know, obviously he's going going against just right now with the with who he's naming to his fucking cabinet. I mean, he's going against everything he's basically said. But then again, we've saw that the whole fucking time. So, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Let's just get off of this because I'm just getting mad. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, back to back to much more joyous times. Uh, yes. <laughs> when you so you you do kind of like get through that the the period in rants where you kind of are now a member of the band. Um, well, that, but that took a while and I'll tell you how it came down yeah. and I found, I found out this later, but you know, so we were at, we we're playing with citizen fish at this place in the, in the city or was it, was it citizen fish? Yeah, it was citizen fish. And there was these fucking crusties outside and one of them threw a brick and hit Matt's girlfriend in the head. And Matt didn't know if he had to take her to the doctor. So he basically came up to me and he said, I might have to take Kathy to the doctor. You're playing bass tonight. And when I said, okay, I guess that's what did it for Matt (laughs) because, you know, I was willing to do anything, you know what I mean? I'd help him out, you know, whatever the show must go on kind of thing. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, that was, so I could have played bass for one show and ran said, thank God I didn't. (laughs) <laughs> because that would have been, you know, that's a hard job, man. Yeah. But when he's, he's basically said, you're going to have to play bass. So I was like, okay, whatever you want me to do. 
You know what I mean? I hope Kathy's, you know, okay, whatever. And I guess that's what did it. So that, that was kind of like, that was three months down the line. You know, they would invite me to shows. Basically at the beginning, they say, do you, you know, can you play up in Eureka? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll be there. You know what I mean? And then can you play? Well, I don't know. Fuck yeah, I'll be there. So that was kind of the way it, 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 it cause I was just getting sober, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, they couldn't, you know, I'm a fucking drug addict alcoholic. I mean, you can't really trust those types of people. You know what I mean? I think Freeman had been through that before, you know, somebody, and it's just like, he didn't know if he could trust me. And I think the band was still kind of like, yeah, this guy's good and he can do the thing, but is he going to be fucking, you know, reliable and, and show up. And all I had to do was just be reliable and show up and not fucking drink. And I was good, you know? So that's kind of what I did. And that's pretty much how I got into the band, you know? And then the question was, are you going to be on this first record? And like I said, um, you know, I wanted to earn that spot, not just walk into something and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just, that's the way I wanted to do my life is I wanted to earn it because I've never, taking a handout from anybody in my life to this day. So, so you were on those first tours though, when that record was coming yeah. out, right? So you, so what, what was that kind of like, right? Was there right sort of a palpable kind of buzz about the band right away or, or like right from the release of that record? Or was it something that, you know, was kind of built towards, I mean, did you feel like, was there like, we're like, you know, we're like people there singing along right out of the gate is what I'm trying to get at, I guess. No, I mean, my second show with the band, I remember, was at Cloyne Court. Okay. My first, my first show was a house party, and we ended up singing through the Matt's bass amp. You know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. And um, the second show was at Cloyne Court. And do you remember the Berkeley Naked guy? No. <laughs> okay. Well, there was we there, there was like this college student that would walk around naked with his backpack on and his sneakers. Okay. And he was on all the he was on all the talk shows, you know. And it was like a big thing in like 93 or whatever it was. And I just remember, and, and, and the reason why I'm mentioning a naked man <laughs> in this is because, this, so this guy was kind of creating the stir about, you know, body identity, whatever it was, you know, yeah. some hippie, hippie Berkeley shit, right? So I remember being at Clone Court, playing the show, and I'm looking up, and there's the naked dude in the pit. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Because it was wild, you know, the show was wild, you know, people were going crazy, you know, we had did about eight or nine, maybe a little bit more before we actually did that first U.S. tour. Because I joined the band probably February of, or March of 1993, and we were on tour in September of 93. That was our first U.S. tour. So we had done some shows at, in L.A., we had played the Hong Kong Cafe, because I remember Brett Gurowitz was there, it was my first chance to meet him mm -hmm. uh, second actually because he remembered when i fucking barged the bad religion backstage hammered out of my fucking mind <laughs> looking for beer and, <laughs> and not laughing uh, at you doing that but no, laughing at that situation well yeah i mean it's just and uh and um let's see and then um yeah so we got uh, so stormy shepherd you know became yep. our booking agent she was you know, sick of it all. So that first run, we played with sick of it all. And, the, and we were basically playing with mostly hardcore bands that first tour. I mean, we played with the bouncing souls, a few, you know, I think it was 10 or 11 shows. Um, but it was mostly, uh, but we played with sick of it all. A lot of the hardcore bands across, you know, 
uh, the United States were playing the shows. Um, we play with this band called, um, Schlepp Rock. Yep. Um, yeah. Who's the, the homie from the generators, you know, who had been around forever. Yeah. And also you um, played with, um, didn't DBS play some of those shows? Yep. Yep. And, and AFI was also, did AFI was that they are they on a couple of, I remember seeing flyers, I think from that run of shows, but they would have been, would you guys have been playing with them back in the Bay by that point? Um, you know, Possibly, I yeah. want to say it was was after we came home from that tour that we okay. played with them because Davey would always come to the shows and be, "Hey guys, can here's my demo tape. Can you listen to my demo tape?" <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean, he was you know he's still a great guy. Yeah. You know? um, uh, but it's, it's far cry from where he was to where he is now. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> we would have been like know. like a kid, like a little kid back then. Yeah. Now he's naked on Instagram saying that he won't wear fucking leather or whatever and it's like cool bro <laughs> i got another naked guy in the pit so um <laughs> no i love davy you know and, and davy's always been you know had strong convictions and been a real genuine fucking dude and yeah. followed his heart wherever he went and and i fucking i wish those dudes nothing but success because they fucking worked hard they were they were you know you watch the Twisted Sister fucking documentary, and for whatever reason, I thought of AFI. I thought of a band that would just crushed it for 10, 12 years and then finally got their day, you know? Yep. yep. No, that's the thing. It's like they had multiple careers before they yeah. launched their – what most people think of their career. Correct. And, and I mean, you know, they were playing with a lot of hardcore bands. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still love that early shit, High School Football Heroes, fucking awesome. Um, it's a great song. I mean <laughs> – you know, just, I, you know, I, I still I have fond memories of them. But my point is, is after we did that tour um, and playing with all those bands and sick of it all in New York. And, um, you know, I got a funny story about, about that. Um, I, I don't know if it's I've ever told it, but it doesn't matter. But um, what was, yeah, what was, yeah, yeah, go on. All right. Well, we were playing with sick of it all in Jersey at City Gardens. And, you know, we, we never really met those guys before. And a lot of the New York stuff, like a lot of the times the New York hard band, hardcore bands would come to California and there wasn't really an audience. And the same in New York, in the East Coast with the West Coast punk bands, there wasn't really an audience, you know, because mm -hmm. the hardcore crowd and the punk rock crowd didn't mix. It was pretty divided, you know. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, it was two totally different scenes. And... I, I, I dare to say that Rancid and Sick of It All doing those shows in 93 and 94 sort of kind of brought that those scenes together. I was going to 100% percent say that was like I was going to say until you guys and Sick of It All like bridge that kind of gap in a big way. That was like that's how I heard about Sick of It All. That's how I'm sure a lot of kids like from where I was coming from were hearing about Sick of It All for the first time other than just seeing the shirt and the logo and whatnot. Sure. Ooh. But I mean, you know, that's the way it was supposed to be. I mean, you know, Agnostic Front was playing with Crucifix and, mm -hmm. and Nausea. I mean, Roger was fucking obviously married to, to what's her name from Nausea. So, you know, Amy, it's like Amy. Amy there we yeah. go. And, um, you know, so it's like that's the original way it was supposed to be, anyways. You know, mm -hmm. hardcore was just the hardcore New York hardcore bands like the Chromax, Agnostic Front. You know, those bands. That was the original American skinhead music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I liked. You know, I mean, I liked some of the straight edge stuff. I loved Minor Threat. You know, um, there's a, I, I will always say this and I'll say this to my 
the day I die, die, but Minor Threat was the best band to drink beer to. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. The best band. You want to you drink some beers? Turn on the Minor Threat, even though it's totally opposite of what they stand for. But man, what a great beer drinking band. Well, I can talk about smoking weed to youth of the day being an amazing experience too. So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So there you go. But um so yeah, so we played in City Gardens and I remember uh I had to do set lists and I also had to charge my hair. And we didn't really know what we were walking into and and you know uh so I walk into the backstage and I got like some uh, – I remember there were Ramones flyers because the Ramones were playing there. And I took them down and we we're going to use them for a set list. And I, l- I literally walk into the backstage and all I hear is this, whoa, like this crazy, crazy scream. I'm like, what the fuck? But there's nobody in the backstage. And then literally there's maybe a few girls and literally like 12 dudes walk out of the bathroom. And it's like – Tim Shaw, who's an ensign. Yep. To- Toby Morris, um, who were, I, they were both sick of it all's roadies at the time and sick of it all and a couple of other heads. And they're looking at me like, what the fuck is this dude? You know, kind of thing. And so I got to fucking put up my hair, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is, I don't, I'm going to fucking get clowned <laughs> if I fucking start doing all my makeup here, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like charging my hair up and, and all this stuff. So I had already written the set lists, right? And and I have them in my hand. And so I just find a, a, a table kind of far in the corner. And I just sat there alone and I acted like I was rewriting the set list, <laughs> basically. Because I'm just I'm just trying I'm just trying to like scope out the scene. Cause you know, I'm getting some stares. I don't know these dudes. I don't know who they are. I'm alone. Yeah. Well, and also, I got, my, I got my hair dryer next to me too. You know, so <laughs> this, this is just not a good look. You know, and I think sick of it all in 1993 is like a, a very different beast than sick of not like they're, they're still you know tough people. Obviously, today would not want to spar with Craig at any point no. in my life. But at the same time, like 1993, uh, that lineup of of people, roadies included, are uh, are formidable foes to run into. I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, and especially when it's just you. Yeah. You know. So and I you know, I, I knew who Lou was, I knew who Pete was because of the records and whatever, because I did have blood, sweat, no tears. Mm-hmm. And um at this time I think um uh was the scratch the surface that was coming out or it had come out yeah. or was about to come out or or whatever, it doesn't well mine escapes me, but um so basically they left and uh so they left to go do the sound check and I went and charged my hair up and that was that. But the the thing with well, – they were all in the bathroom and I never knew about this until a little bit later on when we actually – when Sick of It All came out to the West Coast to play with, with Rancid. They did like five shows with us out here. Um, is Toby Morris has this spastic colon and he can literally shoot a shit out of his ass <laughs> – 10 feet into a toilet. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't know that that's what they were doing currently at the time. And I don't know if Toby's going to kill me by, by, I mean, by telling you this, but okay. So, so we were in fucking Santa Barbara or wherever we were playing. And, um, 
all of a sudden there's Lou and Armand and we had just gotten to the club and uh, Lou and Armand are, are in the bathroom and they go, Lars, Lars, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I walk into the bathroom and there's Toby Morris buck naked. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on in here? And they go, watch, 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 watch. So there, the toilet is about 10 feet away and Toby's naked. <laughs> and now he's aiming his ass towards the toilet. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on here? And all of a sudden, the weirdest sound I've ever heard. It was like, it was like a combination of like your foot being wet on a, like a, like, you know, the squeak that your foot makes when it's like wet on a, like a, like a hardwood floor or something. Yeah. And like stepping on like a small animal. <laughs> that was the sound. It was like a <laughs> amalgamation of, of that sound. And all of a sudden I see this shit. Okay. Well, no, at first, first he lines the toilet seat with toilet paper and, and the, and the, the, the cover. He lines it up as it's like if it's like a basketball court, you know, like a hoop, right? And literally he's been, he spreads his cheeks and he does this thing with his hips and out comes this shit that flies through the air. And I swear to God, on my life and on my children's lives, it splashes straight into the toilet. Oh, nothing but it rim. It did, it did not hit the rim. It did not bounce in. The shit launched out of his ass, I swear to God, in an arch. I remember watching it. I'm like, what the fuck? Straight into wow, the Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> I, then, I didn't okay. think... <laughs> he called it throwing a rope. He go, hey kid, I'm gonna throw a rope. Shit, watch this, watch this camera throw a rope. And that's what he called it, throw a rope. Holy jeez, that so, is a talent. Like that should be on America's Got Talent or one of those shows. Well, I don't think he. I think his wife banned him from doing that ever again. <laughs> okay, that's a rightfully so. But I, I remember in Bakersfield, I had my birthday. I think it was my 22nd or 23rd birthday, and he goes. Hey kid, come over here back. Back against the wall. I'm gonna throw you a birthday rope. I'm like, what? <laughs> goes, I'm gonna throw you a rope, kid. Birthday rope. <laughs> I was like, All right. So, Len, I think I got a Polaroid of him just shooting this stream of shit out of his ass. Hitting a wall. <laughs> oh my god! I think I have the Polaroid somewhere upstairs, but it's just like this shit coming. It's like just out of his ass and everybody's laughing. He had to get guarded up because we were in the, there wasn't a backstage at this place. So it was outside and like, there's people parking and shit and Toby's shitting on a wall outside. So, (laughs) (laughs) but the moral of the story is, you know, and you know, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, about, I don't know, uh, five or six years later, we're all sitting around. No, it was the brown out from the wolves, and I remember the sick of it all guys had come down to the show, and uh, we were talking about this experience, and you know about me walking upstairs into the backstage, and and like, and, and it's like, and we were talking with Pete, and I was like, so Pete, like, you know, let's just say I walked in there, you didn't know me from Adam, and I'm fucking walking into the bathroom just to go spike my hair. You guys fucking clown me, huh? You guys were, he goes, ah, because you know what? Yeah, we probably would have fucking clowned you, and I was just like, yeah, that's why I fucking just sat there and redid the. <laughs> This fucking set list I had already fucking written, but, but that was our and that was that was pretty much our introduction to those guys. But we were thick as thieves after that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, 
if there was a show, they were anywhere near, we would go. I mean, I would, you know, I saw them and, you know, any, if any, anywhere within a couple hundred miles from, from the Bay area, if they were playing, I was there and vice versa. You know, that's what we were just, we were like, we were like brother bands, you know what I mean? And we were like that for a long time, you know? So mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say that was really kind of the birth of like, or the, the, like a real kind of like you said before, the East Coast bands didn't do well on the West Coast. West Coast bands didn't do as well on the East Coast. That was where it all started to change, I think. Well, and mostly the, the punk bands, you know, never played with the hardcore bands. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but the, we had, there was so much more in common with, with, with those two styles of music than, than thought than uh, than there was with us in Fugazi, in my opinion, like you know, I don't think we were anything like Fugazi, even though we played with them. And, and I'm totally still thankful that they gave us a show in 1993 at the fucking in Philly at the fucking Trocadero. I mean, that was and they paid us well, you know yeah. what I mean? And they, t- you know, they always treated their bands, you know, the bands that play with them well. But you know, just stopping the show and asking who threw the fucking shoe, I just was like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? Like. You know, grow a fucking pair, you know, like, yeah, shoes get thrown, things get thrown. And then they have the audacity to find the kid in the crowd because, and the shoe didn't like get launched at him. It just got tossed up on the stage, you know, because somebody lost a fucking shoe and find the guy and throw him out. I just thought that was kind of fucking bullshit, you know, I just, that wasn't really where, what I thought punk rock was, but that's just me. Yeah, no, hey, you're not MVP. You should, I'm sure maybe you've heard our mutual friend MVP's story about his Fugazi incident where him and his brother got thrown at a Fugazi show as like the yeah. only, only two dudes, uh, in, in a mosh pit that got thrown out of that show and, and kind of his. Yeah, because you could, they wouldn't let you dance at the shows, you know? And it's like, it was just kind of this weird, like everybody's personal space. It was like the, the beginning of the entitlement generation, you know? It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it was kind of a, just, a, I don't know. I just, I had nothing to do with it. So, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to like, well, yeah, I'm talking shit. I'll own it. But <laughs> like, you know, I just, it just to me, like I, I just never, I, you know, punk rock wasn't about rules, you know, and, and the early nineties when all those fucking rule books started, to, you know, started to come in, oh, this is punk rock and you can't do this. And if you call yourself a punk rock band, you can't, and if you do that, then you're a sellout, you know? And it's just like, you know what? Suck my fucking dick. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're some college kid that mommy and daddy's paying their fucking way for. You know what I mean? It's like you don't know anything about the real world. You know what I mean? So, but there there was that kind of connection to that other scene, right? Like, because you guys were on that embrace comp, and and uh, the uh, and like and like of course like the kill rock stars comp, and like you did have that connection to that. So was there like? I guess like was was it just because Rancid didn't fit into any scene that you kind of fit into every scene at this point? Well, I think we were just kind of, you know, I mean, we had friends like the, the Bikini Kill Girls, you know, and mm-hmm. we had friends like Sick of It All, and we had friends like GBH, and we had friends like, you know, Bad Religion. I mean, we just, we were a punk band. We knew it, you know, we would cross paths with all different kinds of people, and I think that, you know, we were nice. <laughs> you know, there wasn't anything arrogant about us, you know what I mean? And, and, Cause we weren't, you know, we were just these kids just playing music that we loved. So I think the commonality that we had with everybody is that we just wanted to play this music. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So regardless if it was fucking bikini kill or GBH or, or whoever the fuck it was, it was, you know, we, we all were just there to play music. I mean, we, 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 uh, we did a frumpies fucking cover. We play with the frumpies, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's, it's like, but they were all like our friends, you know? It, well, that's, you know? it feels like that scene is, you know, that disappeared at a certain, disappears at a certain point, right? Cause like, you know, I, I think like the ability for rancid, obviously popularity wise, things change, but you know, even sonically, like a band like rancid to play with a band like bikini kill to, you know, or rancid to be playing with, you know, GBH obviously style wise makes a little bit more sense, you know, but like, right. Right. but like see, there's just so many bands that I would see. We, there's just like tons of bands that you took on tour or played with that just like, it just feels like that, you know, uh, that kind of like, I don't know, uh, ability to transcend is something unique to Rancor or unique to that time at least. Well, we didn't, we weren't, like I said, we weren't, we weren't judgmental. Like a lot of bands wouldn't play with New York hardcore bands. Mm -hmm. We would. Some bands might not want to play with fucking Bikini Kill or the Frumpies or whatever. We would. Not a lot of bands would want to play with John Henry West or fucking Econa Christ or, or fucking, um, oh God, what was that band? Uh, John Henry West, though, that is an amazing band. That's seven inch. I love so much. Oh, it's great. I mean, oh. I loved it. And, um, Lars, but what was that's that? why I love what talking was... to you is because who would have ever thought that we'd be talking about John Henry West and Gravity Records artists? <laughs> yeah, I know that's kind of a far cry, right? I know. I didn't uh, mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no, no. It's true, though. It's totally true. But, um, who was that other fucking band? I can't believe I can't fucking remember their band, but he left hand, Blake was the singer, left handed guitar player. Oh, uh, uh Jawbreaker. Yeah, I mean, we played with Jawbreaker and we played with fucking Grimple and we yeah. played with, you know, we played with everybody because, you know, us, it was about just the scene. You know, mm -hmm. we wanted to be part of a scene. You know what I mean? We were different. We were, we were the sort of, I guess you could say, we played with fucking Tribe 8. Like, I loved Tribe yeah, 8. Yeah, Tribe 8. Of course. Absolutely. And a fucking, you know, God, man, they were such cool people. We loved them and they loved us. And it was like, we should go on tour together. I mean, we play with fucking Pansy Division and fucking up in Oregon. You know, we play with everybody. You know, yeah. we didn't, we didn't, we didn't care. You know, if it was punk, we were into it. You know, and uh, as we got bigger, we never forgot that. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, we still played with bands that were, you know, punk bands or up and coming and or whatever. But I think for us, we were kind of the answer. We were sort of the reaction to all of the the kind of safe punk, you know, cause that's kind of what it was, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we were kind of just the, the, we were, we were kind of coming out stronger. you know, it was, we were talking about, we weren't talking about what the other bands were talking about. And I think that's what made us a little bit different at the time. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that we were saying had probably been said before, but in that, in that sort of environment where we, we were coming up and, way the music was. I mean, so many people used to bag on fucking Green Day. And and then at the show, you'd see all the people that hated Green Day. They would be at the show, of course. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, it's like, you know, we sort of weren't like any other band there mm. at happening at the time. You know, nobody was really doing what we were doing in that essence, you know. No one was... You know, bleach jeans, Doc Martin, studs, leather jackets, spiky hair, mohawks, you know, mm -hmm. in our area. We were the band that were, that was, that was us. That's what, what, what we were. That's what we were doing. You know, that's, there wasn't really anybody doing that. It was either so crusty with you wearing dreadlocks and, you know, 
you know, whatever, you know, in your Amoebics patch or whatever, or, you know, you were rocking last resort t-shirts and, and beach jeans, you know what I mean? Yeah. With spiky hair. It, well, that's the thing. I think it's like it, that, I, you know, you talked about how that the problems with the Berkeley scene earlier, the, the Bay scene earlier. I think that's the cool thing about it is also the fact that you have no band is the same yet. Every band, I brought this up when Davey was on the show too, is that no band is the same. So thus the scene makes all these like kind of like diverse kind of connections to different bands. Like every band is kind of like in their own lane. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, but I'll accept it too. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful time to be, you know, in that whole community, you know, if you want to call it that, like there were so many different types of bands that you could see and, you know, whether, whether I liked them or not, I was at the shows, you know, cause that's what you did. You went to the show, you supported, you, you know, you know, you paid your five fucking dollars and you supported the bands, you know, that was what it was all about. You know, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't about, I don't like that guy or whatever. I mean, I, I saw hundreds of bands that I didn't like, but I wanted to just, you know, go and support, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's just the way I was. And I, you know, I've always kept my mouth shut until now because <laughs> I'm 45 and I don't give a shit, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and plus my mom always said, you don't got nothing nice to say about somebody. You don't say it at all. So, and I've also grown since a lot since then. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, there was bands back there. I mean, the Swinging Utters were a great fucking band that nobody fucking gave a shit about, you know? And yeah. it, it, I felt a little, sometimes it, that scene felt a little elitist, you know? Um, I remember Tim Yohannan writing some fucking three-page article about how I fucking ruined Rancid with my skinhead thug mentality and, you know, coming after me, doesn't even know me from fucking Adam while he's living in Noe Valley and one of the fucking richest neighborhoods in San Francisco with the most dubious record collection I've ever seen in my entire life, <laughs> you know? So it's like, here's this old fucking hippie, you know, taking me out because I'm a punk rocker. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, fuck you, maximum rock and roll and fuck everything you stand for. I mean, and I was, I was at that place anyways, because, you know, they're trying to take out Gnostic front, calling them racist. And it's like, you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. And then you go and meet up with these dudes and you have this big conversation and then the next fucking day you two face them and fucking talk more shit. You know, it's like, that's what we, you know, the kind of scene politics that were going on too, you know? Well, like it was, did that, like, was that early on that they, that he wrote that thing about you guys or is yeah, that, I, I have the issue of Mac, maximum rock and roll where he just three pages, he goes after me, <laughs> oh my God. you know, bring, was, bring in my skin. Cause he knew me. Cause I, you know, I, there was there was some beef down at Gilman in the in the 80s where some skinheads had some trouble and I happened to be one of them and I think he clocked me from that and okay. um but like still like you know it doesn't didn't matter you know yeah. the fact that he came after me personally yeah yeah well that's the thing it's like that it's it's such a small scene that you would have probably had to see him after that right well, no, because he never showed face. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then we do a fucking, you know, benefit for his girlfriend because she stuck a banana up her twat and marry him from the Insaints, you know, and she gets busted and we were the first ones to do the fucking benefit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I don't know. It was just, it was such a fucking weird, but that's some hippie shit to do anyway. You know what I mean? So like, you know, you can't really, 
you know, you can't really fucking fault them. It's like, I can't fault my father for leaving me at three years old, me and my brother, when I was three years old now, because like, you know, he grew up in, you know, the way he grew up, he probably didn't know how to fucking take care of a family, but it's like the same kind of shit, you know, like, so it's like, my point is, is, is that, you know, we took a lot of hits for doing what we were doing, you know, because mm-hmm. we weren't playing by the rules, you know, so my best friend at the time was Adrian from Spitboy, and their drummer fucking hated me. <laughs> I mean, she fucking hated me. And it's just like, you know, and because, and she, you know, I remember she, I was, you know, we were playing around during one show. This kid fucking, you know, we were just goofing off, and he, we were chasing each other. And, and I think it was during a Jawbreaker show, as a matter of fact. I ended up tackling the kid on the stage, and, you know, it was kind of fun, whatever. You know, it was just fun. And she comes out and accosts me, you and your rancid stud strut, is what she called it, a stud strut. And I was like, well, what are you saying to me? You know, like, you know, and I was just like, you know what, Todd, you have the right to your opinion. I was goofing off. Like, you know, but that was, it was just like, you couldn't do anything. If you made one false move, like, you know, you, the PC police were fucking, you know, out there, you know, with, with, uh, with handcuffs. It was, it, well, like, I think it was, there was like, yeah, like that was the beginning of that kind of uh, a very different scene that came in the late, sorry, mid to late nineties. Mm-hmm. And it kind of comes at the exact same time as like, <laughs> you know, you guys ascend. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's so funny. Just, you know what? Here's the thing. Let me just tell you something. If there would have been a Facebook back then. <laughs> oh, my oh. oh my God. Oh my God. I always say, ahead, I'm sorry. If zines were zines or message boards were social media, there would be a lot of people in trouble these days. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, everybody tried to, you know, everybody had their opinion, you know? Yeah. And it was funny because you you really saw who your friends were and who you thought your friends were. And all of a sudden you realize, ah, they're not really my friends. And then you realize, oh, maybe they were just fucking out here to, to get a little rub from us because we were doing well, you know, and they had their ulterior motives, you know, well, and like, there's, and I can, I can, I can count a few. I'll, I'll save it, mm-hmm. you know, but I won't, I won't air out the dirty laundry now, but, but whatever. Well, no, like, I, I think that like, you know, you're, t- you're totally, you know, you live through it. Like, I think that would probably be like, I know it was a head trip experiencing the minor amount of whatever I experienced, you know, in my band, yeah. you know, like I could only imagine what you guys experienced because also, you know, like that was like a lot of the, a lot of the playbook, a lot of the foundation, a lot of the whole perception of how you are supposed to steer the course was like from watching how Rancid played it during that time, you know, like turning down the major labels to stick with the label that they were on or, or like, or just like, you know, like dealing with major labels in period. Like, you know, like I don't think there were very many punk bands that had to do it after the first wave until you guys again, you know? Well, I think, you know, the success of green, I mean, we were the first band to have a video out of green day offspring. And, you know, when you talk about that time frame, because mm-hmm. it was green day, us offspring that kind of came out. Um, but we were the first band to have a video played on MTV. It was Hyena. You know, we, we made the video more or less like a document. I mean, honestly, I don't think any of us thought that that Rancid was going to last as long as it did. I think, you know, we weren't really thinking that way. We were just thinking that we're going to document this space and time. And so we made the Hyena video, you know, 
And then that gets played on MTV when we were over in Europe in 93. And uh, it was December of 1993. And then, of course, after that, then Green Day, I'm not saying that we're the, the purpose of you know Green Day blowing up or anything. I'm just saying we were the first punk band out of that scene you know, to get a video played on MTV. I mean, besides like Kraut had, you know, their video play. Yeah. And, and the bad brains or the, yeah, like some random one-off type thing. Yeah. Anti-Nowhere League, yeah. you know, you know, and I remember seeing that video on MTV and just, you know, him fuck animal licking the, the studded <laughs> axe. And I'm just like, this is fucking tight. You know, like, I don't know that. See, that's the shit that I want to see. I want to see bikers licking axes singing about how fucked up they are. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, so, You're describing but, anti-scene right there. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that band. I mean, <laughs> me you know, too. Yeah, so there you go. But um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it was kind of crazy because you had Green Day now blowing up, mm-hmm. and then the Offspring. This is like 1994, right? Yeah. So next thing you know, I remember we were at this place in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. It was Vino's Pizzeria. We were playing. And we had done the nihilism video and, you know, by this time we were touring nonstop. We were like, make a record, then tour, 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 make a record, tour, tour, tour. And so we were crisscrossing, you know, up, we were up in Canada. We had, you know, crisscrossing the United States playing every fucking single place we could play with all kinds of different bands. Um, and I remember Brett Gerowitz calling us, at the club, basically saying, um, the radio stations, um, are playing salvation. And, um, you know, this is, this is like crazy because now we're selling some records and we were just like, we're playing a pizza place right now in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> How is this translating? You know? And then I remember, I think that the, is the home uh, of Econochrist though, to bring it full circle. Correct. Correct. I love Ben. I go to soccer games with Ben. Yeah, I love Ben. You know, I mean, I hated his band, but I love Ben. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> I can, you're like, you know, there's, uh, that's our, one of our first mu- real musical transgressions you and I have, Lars. <laughs> Fair enough. But Maybe I got to go back and listen. Maybe I, I think you do. I think you do. I think, I think like, I know at the time it was probably like different things attached to that band emotionally, but I think now with fresh ears. I, okay, I, okay. I try him again, but anyway, I digress. I, I mean, but you know, with and 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 with all due respect to Ben Sizemore, he knows I hate his band, so <laughs> it's like it's not like some, and I've told him that I do. I don't like your band. I like you, but I, I know like for a fact band. that another member of Old Firm Casuals is a huge fan of the band, so it makes up and balances out, right? Casey's yeah, I wonder. The band. Yeah, I wonder which one that is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that honestly, I'm, it's awesome because Casey has reconnected me with with Ben. You yeah. Know? So, and that's that's awesome because you know I you know that, that that was a time that you know where you know regardless of what was said, what was done, you know that was an experience that we both shared. You know, me myself and Ben. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, and um, and I, a part of me saying how much I hate Econocrisis is just in jest, anyway. So. Absolutely, no. I'm just and I'm I'm in jest again, bringing them up. Of course, not yeah, to pour right, salt right. to a wound. <laughs> well, <laughs> Back to well, the pizza anyway, parlor. So, yeah, so the pizza parlor, Vino's Pizzeria, Little Rock, Arkansas. Brett Gerwitz calls the club. He thought there was something wrong. He's like, "Look, guys, you know, Salvation. There's this radio station in Chicago." And they're blowing it up and your records are, you know, it's crazy. I'm going to have to repress. The question was, can I repress? Let's go. And uh, at the time we had recorded the Roots Radicals because we went in after a tour and we did 
the Roots Radicals demo, uh, along with some other songs that actually never saw the light of day. Um, only Blast Them, I think Blast Them and Roots Radicals out of the nine songs that we did actually got released. And so he wanted to know if we could meet in Boston. Or no, we had met in Boston. That's what it was. We met in Boston on a day off on that on that tour and recorded Roots Radicals and I Want to Riot mm-hmm. and um, for a seven inch because we were just, you know, out and tour and Let's Go was just kind of like, you know, I had been out a couple months by then and we just wanted to put out something new. And I remember Paul Bear and Dickie Barrett being in the studio, hanging out with those guys all day. And that's kind of all I remember about the, the Boston <laughs> recording. But so Brett Wait, Paul Bear from Sheer Terror? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. like, and you guys just did that split, Wolfram Casuals with uh, Sheer yeah. Terror. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, we know Paul. Paulie was living up in Boston at the time. So, um, and we had played with Sheer Terror a bunch of times at that point, you know? So, um, we've played a bunch of shows with Sheer Terror. Yeah. Um, so, that's awesome. Yeah. No, it, I mean, we were good friends. I mean, that's just the way it was, you know? Yeah. So, we we did the we did the seven inch, and that's what it was. So we're in Little Rock, making our way back to California. Because basically, what we would do is we'd start off a show in San Francisco or or Berkeley, probably at the Gilman Street. Then we'd travel across the tour, and then we'd end the tour at a, with a show at Gilman Street or wherever it was, you know, mm-hmm. respectively. Mm-hmm. So we're working our way back, and and this is about a week and a half after we had done. Uh, the Roots Radical 7-inch, and Brett Groetz called and said, hey, you know, this record's blowing up because these radio stations in Boston and Chicago picked up Salvation. They, they're spinning. It's crazy, blah, blah, blah. We're getting orders. Can I repress the record? And, of course, you know, you can repress the record. And, and he says, well, this is what I want to do. I want to release Roots Radicals to the radio and then package it with... with um, with uh with with salvation because we never like submitted our songs to radio as saying hey here's a single mm-hmm. all this stuff happened organically it was never like a conscious decision this is the radio single we're gonna go now and and you know i mean it wasn't anything like that yeah um that did happen in later years of course but did, it was like, did you think different. salvation was that sp- like when you guys did salvation were you like like did did it feel different as the song goes? Because like obviously that record's got so many amazing songs on it, but that song just caught on in such a way. Did it feel special prior to it catching on in in that kind of way? Well, this is what I remember about that time. Like I mean, we had come home from that tour in Europe where we did eight weeks, and it was like the coldest winter. <laughs> and um, I have a, I have my own personal shit story about that fucking tour. If you want to hear it, but sure. Uh, okay, so. Um, we were playing the squat in Bologna and it's the middle of winter and there's snow on the ground. And I got a hole in the bottom of my Doc Martens and um, I had to wear three pairs of socks on the right side because the snow would come through the bottom of the, of the, of the, of the, of the shoes. And so we play this squat in Bologna and uh, first means Tim get stopped by the, the, by the Italian police and check our passports. It was just gnarly. You know, they thought we were like thieves or something. So we show up to this to this place. It turns out the show's not there, but they're going to do a makeshift show. Um, you know, as I'm sure you've experienced. Oh yes, times. this this sounds painfully kind of familiar to some European tours. Replace Doc Martin with Nike, and uh, we've got some very similar stories. There you go. <laughs> and so they move it to this this like school, like this auditorium, 
Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no mic stands. Um, there's no nothing. You know what I mean? It's kind of a makeshift thing. There's about 150 people there, which is re- really kind of good turnout. And um, I have to go to the bathroom. So I find the bathroom. And inside the bathroom, there's a toilet. And it's in the middle of the room. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I look, I look at the fucking – the bottom of the floor and there's like about – it's just all wet. It's like like an inch with piss and water and yeah. just all this shit. And I got to walk in there with my fucking – my Doc Martin on, right, with the hole in the bottom <laughs> of it, right? But I, I really got to go. There's no there's, – and there's no – you know. So I, I look around and I see that this, there's this toilet, but there's no toilet paper anywhere. It's just basically a toilet in the middle of the floor. I'm like, what the fuck? So I go ask Fitzjoy, our road manager, I go, dude – there's no fucking toilet paper. Can you do you have anything? Goes, hang on, hang on. And you know those like little um, sanitary like Kleenex, those little packages that maybe your mom used to carry yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, of course. A little plastic little thing. He goes here for emergency. So I go cool. So I fucking get into this bathroom. I sit down. I do my business. I look around. I realize now that the toilet's actually not hooked up to anything. Okay. So I'm like, what the fuck? So I try to fucking um, – I'm trying to balance on one foot with my pants down, trying not to get my fucking braces in the piss water underneath me along with my other shoe, right? And so I try to open up this Kleenex bag and I fucking open up too hard and all the Kleenex <laughs> everywhere. And now they're all soaking all the fucking shit and I'm left with this pl- little plastic bag. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck, man? So I fucking try to wipe my ass with that thing and I end up like smearing it all around. You know, I'm just like, what the fuck? So I'm just like, this is just bullshit. So I fucking, I get my shit up and I'm gone. I go, I got to look for something. So I, without even wiping my ass, I go and I, this is, this is the same tour. I got a staph infection on at a whorehouse that we had to stay at, but now, just as a side note, oh and um, so and where I saw this fucking three hundred pound Arabian dude getting a blowjob just right there in the hall, it was just gnarly, dude. It was fucking gnarly. But um, so anyway, so I go back into like the little area where they get, and they have all these newspapers like stacked against the wall. I'm like, fuck, save, you know what I mean? So I grab a piece of this newspaper and I realize it's like brown, and it's just like kind of. It's just, and it smells kind of like cat piss, you know, I'm just like, oh man, but you got to do what you got to do. So I go and I take care of business and I finish up and I'm literally for like the next two weeks, I, I was itching so fucking bad, oh. so fucking gnarly, dude. It was one of the gnarliest fucking times of my life, but you know, it was fun. But anyway, so cu- cut back to, to, to doing Let's Go. I, I, I ended up after that tour having to get a job at uh, Tower Records. And I think I told you this story where they made me quit. Yeah. And Okay. So we, uh, you know, we went in there, we had three days at fantasy studios to do the record. And on the last day, um, we had Tim came in and he's like, I got this song and basically it was salvation and I want to do it. And so we were just, you know, at the point we were just like, yeah, it, it was cool, you know, but it was only a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. And basically what they did is they doubled it. They edited it and made it double. So this, the version that you hear on the record is actually the song twice. Oh, so, Oh, wow. So they, they made it longer. Brett did. So there you go. There's that. But when that was going kind of going down and happening very organically with, with salvation, 
you know, we decided, okay, well maybe, you know, um, shoot a video for it or whatever. And then, um, and then we, we went home after that tour and basically shot that video. And I think we're out on the road with the offspring after that. Um, cause that was the next kind of thing for us to do. So that was kind of where we were with that, you know? So was it happening for the offspring too at the same time? I guess it was the exact same time, right? No. Yeah. Offspring was massive, but they, they, they had been massive for like six. I remember listening to, you know, cause I was driving, I was helping somebody from Epitaph move to San Francisco and, um, she needed some help with the drive and, and although I didn't drive, but, um, and I was down in LA anyways. And, and I remember listening, we heard the song like every hour on the hour. It was the, the, um, keep them separated yeah. song. Yeah. And, um, that was just, it was huge. And, you know, we had already planned to, um, to do the, uh, the tour with them anyway. So, and that's kind of where, where it kind of went from there. So we sort of had, I think, you know, maybe, you know, people were just looking for the next thing, I guess. I don't know. I mean, and just with the salvation, um, video and, and the song and everything, which was shot in my bedroom in, in West Oakland. I mean, that's <laughs> my, literally my bedroom, you know? So one of the most famous uh, bedrooms in the history of punk rock now. <laughs> yeah. That Kamala parks ended up taking over. Um, but yeah, so oh, that's, really? because she kept my cat. That's why I remember. Cause I had this little Sammy's a punk rocker. That was the name of my cat. That's where I came <laughs> up with Sammy. You know, because his name was Sammy. I found him. He was out. It was across the street. It was like basically in an industrial neighborhood. And these pit bulls were trying to get to the cat. And I swear to God, I heard the cat from inside the house. I was with my buddy, John Reed. And these pit bulls were trying to get at, at the cat. It was a little kitten. And they couldn't get to him because he was hiding behind this, like, uh, heavy machinery, you know. So I reached underneath the fence and grabbed the cat to, uh, out of, you know, because it, it would have been curtains with the cat. Yeah. Pit bulls got and so I just kept him. I named him Sammy. And he was awesome. He used to sleep with me and keep me warm and kill all the rats in the in the house. And he it's funny because Matt ended up getting the cat. And like he did with me, he would go kill rats and bring them to Matt and leave them on the bed <laughs> as like kind of a present. Like, thanks for taking care of me. <laughs> yeah, like that's, so. that's what they do, right? That's like a maternal yep. instinct in the cat to like feed the young. It's Correct. kittens, right? Correct. So he would, I mean, I had a rat problem. And a mouse problem. So they used to climb through my, I had this huge motorhead or Gasmatron poster. It's one of the six foot tall ones. And oh, it got, eat, got eaten through so many fucking times because they burrow, they, they made a hole in my ceiling. So they drop onto my bed and then fall off while I was sleeping at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but when I had Sammy there, you know, sometimes I think he was playing with me, but he was actually killing a mouse or a rat on my bed while I was sleeping. <laughs> so, but yeah, so there you go. Wow. Well, uh, I don't know if I'm keeping you too long because, no, 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 okay, well, let me know when I do, because I, okay. we're just, we're also just, uh, believe me, I got, I got, I got buckets to get to. Um, right. so I guess like, you know, you guys kind of come back and from I, that offspring tour and I guess, was it ever, did everything kind of start happening immediately? Like, was the like, was there just like fanfare or was it, did you experience it right away or? Well, we started noticing it getting bigger. Like when we got home from that first tour, from that first Europe, European tour, mm -hmm. like just in our, in our, in our Bay area, like, you know, a lot more people were turning out. Um, we had put the radio, 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 seven inch out by then. 
And so the crowds, like every time we played Gilman Street, there'd be a hundred more people or whatever. And it just started to kind of progress from there. Once we got on the Offspring tour, that's when all hell broke loose, so to speak, because that's when all the major labels came out courting because yeah. now they're seeing, you know, we were getting one hell of a reaction before we played with Offspring, you know, cause we were just going up there, tearing the fucking stage down, just not giving a shit. We're just going for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then, you know, sometimes you would see like, we would, we didn't really play salvation in the set, you know? And then once we did the video, we're like, okay, maybe we should play Salvation. <laughs> we, we've always been, it's really kind of crazy. I think Nihilism and Hyena were the, were the only songs we've ever made videos for that we actually played from the, in the set from the very get go of a tour. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know what, what we do, why we do that, but every time we make a video for a song, we never seem to play it until like a year later. <laughs> yeah. Like live. You know, I don't know what it is, but, um, so, you know, that's when all the major label crazies started to come out, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was just like every show, there'd be this guy from this place or this guy from this place or, you know, hey, we're from blah, 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 blah. And then they, they didn't even know our names. You know, they called mm-hmm. Matt Mike. And <laughs> Matt just looks at me and he goes, not signing to them. You know, just like, you know, just it was it was it was gnarly because all the attention was now on us, you know. And, um, at least it felt to some degree that it was on us at these shows. Yeah. And then we, we did another tour after that. And then that's just, it's like the floodgates opened and, um, you know, all these people were coming to the show, some blah, blah, blah from this guy. And, you know, and it was kind of a crazy thing. And I remember we did, um, that's about around the time, um, you know, we did, uh, well, I guess it would have been, we had put out. Um, we, we, oh, we were, we were, we were playing in San Francisco and that's when we kind of decided, or was it, we were at a show in San Francisco and that's when we kind of decided that we were going to, you know, we weren't going to entertain this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, as a, as a, as a kid coming up the way that we did, and we all came from similar backgrounds. I mean, Matt's dad was a fucking cop, you know what I mean? Tim's dad was a fucking janitor. You know, Brett Reed's dad, I don't even know what he did, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and we all came from these like broken working class families pretty much, you know? And, uh, I think j- not entertaining it would have been the stupid thing to do. Um, you know, not looking to see what this was, what they were offering or what, you know, what it entailed. And, you know, by then we had, we'd gotten, uh, a manager because, you know, it's obviously way too big for us to just figure out ourselves. And, he was really, really into us being on a major label and, you know, and just really was pushing us towards that direction. And, and, and the more I think that we got pushed towards that by other people, we sort of got more insular with each other and, and decided against that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But how did you guys like, you know, cause you brought up your, your upbringing and, you know, being from like a more modest upbringing, like, how are you able to, you know, cause like, I think now it's proven that bands are able to do it by staying on independent labels, by looking at, you know, rancid and, and, you know, kind of the, you know, the next records obviously getting bigger even, you know, and, and things like that. So that's the model that I think other bands were able to follow, you know, when they were placed in that kind of position. 
who mm. are you looking at? Who are you guys like being like and not thinking that you were potentially throwing away like a life changing opportunity? Well, I honestly think we were looking at the music and yeah. at the end of the day, um, because I think if we did sign with a major label, we couldn't have made the outcome, the, the outcome, the wolves that, that, that we, we now have. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a far more pissed off record. I think it would have been like we had something to prove, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. Oh yeah. So you would have reacted the other way you think? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. they say, and, and, and. I just kind of, you know, where we were going musically, I don't, I think it would have, it would have, it would have hindered that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think we would have, we were writing songs like Roots Radicals and we wrote, you know, um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, um, uh, Daily City Train and, and, uh, As Wicked. And there was a few others. We were writing those songs on tour and we were actually trying them out. You know, you know, I remember trying out Blood Clot way back then, you know, on Outcome the Wolves era. You know, we would write these songs on tour in the van and then we'd go and we'd just play them live. You know, mm-hmm. like Brett Reed would come in, we'd get a, a loose structure and say, let's try to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's how we did radio. That's how radio came about. Radio was written on tour and then we just went and played it. You know what I mean? That night like, type just, thing? When you finished Yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, you know, how do you do that? That's crazy. Like, have you been able to do that in other bands you've been in? Because that's to me is just unheard of. No, I think we just where we were. I mean, that's just kind of what we did, you know, and that's what we kind of still do in in some weird way. I know it takes us ages to fucking write a record, you know, well, not write a record, but to record a record um, because we always write. Like, I mean, I'm going down next week to you know, for the third session, you know, we have already 20 some odd songs and we're going to go down and record more. It's like, that's just what we do, you know? And then the record's done when the record's done. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, but my point is, is that we would just, that was just kind of where we were, you know, I remember sitting in the, in the van, like I was taking a nap in the club and I came into the van and Matt and Tim were, were kind of putting together as wicked. And I just came up with that little lead right there on the spot, you know, like, and it was like, Oh, that's it. That's what we need right there. Boom, boom, boom. And then where do we go from here? Oh, then, you know, let's go to the A right here, you know? And then that, that's just how it happened. You know, it's, and then Brett would come in we'd say, here's the song. He'd go, cool. Like it. I can do this here, this here. And boom, we'd go up there and we fucking do it. You know, that's awesome. I I mean, I mean, you know, that's what we always kind of did. Cause we hadn't, I mean, we were writing junkie man, and listed MIA on the steps of uh, of Stormy Shepherd's house at, during the Offspring tour. You know, like we 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 had these songs. I mean, I used to have the little tape recorder, you know, the little handheld tape recorder with the little small tapes, and that's oh. how we, we me and Tim would sit outside with our guitars and we'd just write. I mean, that's that's dic- how we just did. Do you keep those dictaphone tapes or no? I have them. I just found them because I've been cleaning out some shit and i just found them all oh so, amazing but they're not marked so i have to and i now i have to go find <laughs> one of those dictaphone things i've got to probably visit radio shack and because that's probably the only place that's going to have a relic like that and then or if ebay and yeah, and eBay, see what i, I have <laughs> because i i realize i have so many of our demos on cassette tapes like so many unmarked tapes i got to go through it but i don't have a tape player that works mine busted like 15 years ago, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've always been a vinyl guy anyway, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just what, what we did. And then I think 
in, you know, in retrospect, trying to make an outcome, the wolves being on a major label, I think it would have been a totally different record. Yeah. And I think the best decision we ever made, because I think it was like this, it was like, we were coming to this point where, you know, there was a lot of people with a lot of opinions, you know, and we never expected what was going to happen to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just kind of like four fucking kids just playing punk. And we, and, and honestly, we did the touring, you know, we saturated fucking United States of America. We played every place with anybody. We did, you know, we, we just didn't care. And, um, you know, we were just more interested in that and then to the music than actually the labels. But uh, although it was a great big distraction for us to some degree, it only made us tighter as the, in the band. Like, you know, there was all, there's only so many people I could talk to about it. And that was Matt, Tim and Brett. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there, No one understood. Like all I'm thinking about in my head is like, fuck, my mom still lives in the goddamn low income housing I was raised in. Fuck. If I could get some money and give her that money so she could get out of that fucking place where, you know, she's not fucking or crossing neighbors or fucking gangbangers. Like, this would be great. That's that's what I'm thinking in my head. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, how could you that, not? Was, yeah, exactly. How could you not? <laughs> you know. And meanwhile, you know, you're getting called sellout and so on and so on and so forth, and blah blah blah, and this and that because you know, and then that was just all jealousy, anyways, and people who obviously couldn't do what we were doing. You know, so. Um, but I, I just think that, like, at that time, you know, that was the kind of the let's go kind of end of let's go era you know, for us of that record, I should say it was, it was pretty, it was pretty gnarly. It was pretty nuts. You know what I mean? It was, it was, you didn't really know, you know, you, you, it was, you were excited at the same time, but all you wanted to do was play the gig. And and that time, dude, we were doing six gigs, one day off, six gigs, one day off for months and months and months and months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's amazing. Like, I guess that's why you guys were able to produce. Like you think in, in, in three years, there's three records that are full of songs, like yeah. unbelievable <laughs> amounts of songs. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's un- like the, just how prolific the band was in that period. It, 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 I guess you had three songwriters, right? Like, yeah. I'm, and we would all take part and that was the beautiful part. You know, you always had, you, you know, in any band, you always got one guy. Uh, I mean, at least the, any band I've been in that t- kind of takes the lead and, you know, Tim t- has to take that lead, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we can all fill in the gaps and different people have different, um, you know, sometimes I've taken the lead and sometimes Matt's taken the lead, but it's like, it's having that space and room to do that. And that's what Rancid allows. Even Brett Reed has contributed to the writing and Brandon Steinecker has contributed to the writing. So it's like, you know, we create that environment. Like when we do write, we call there's no, stu- there's no dumb ideas, mm-hmm. only the idea. And what we do with every song we approach is we try it fast, hardcore punk, mid-tempo fucking this, maybe try it ska, maybe try it. You know, we, we always try to experiment, you know, with what we're doing to try to see what works, you know? Oh, do you have demos where you guys do different styles of oh, yeah. songs? Oh, yeah. Like Lady Liberty that ended up on on Life Won't Wait. Yeah. Like that song was written at around the same time I wrote started writing Roots Radicals. And, um, it was up in Sacramento and it was a totally different song. It was, I mean, that's in, at uh, what ended up on life on weight. It's definitely not the way it was written. 
you know? Yeah. Because it was more like a rocker. Lady Liberty coming on. You know, it's like really like kind of punk, like dun, 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 you know, like almost ramones kind of, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, and we got to um, label these tapes, Lars. We got to hear this stuff. I know. <laughs> Bro, it's, but that's the thing. I'm swimming in these fuckers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Swimming in these fuckers. Well, I kind of like, I, I want to, you know, I'm, I don't. I don't think I could subject you to me forcing you to do another whole section about and I called the wolves because believe me, I got so much stuff to talk to you about that record. Um, okay. But we'll, we'll leave that for today because I could punish you for another hour and a half. But before I let you go, I think one of the cool things that you guys were doing at this point, you know, you mentioned them before uh, the swing and others, but like you started producing yeah. other bands records and started like yeah. working with other bands and like you are involved in some of the production of some of my favorite, favorite nice. like bands of that era and stuff like that. But I guess like, how did that first start coming about? And like, is Sweet Nighters the first thing you produced? Yeah, that was the first thing I produced. Um, the, the story goes back to all the way back to about 1980, 88, 89. And I knew this guy, Danny boy, who's a tattooist here in town. And, and he actually is drawn, uh, some uh, some artwork for the old from Casuals. He actually did that crucified skin that we got. And I'm, Danny was an old skinhead, and they had the Centurion skins in Santa Cruz. And the Swinging Utters, a lot of those dudes were like Greg and and a few others were part of that whole crew down there. Yeah. And how my initial meeting with those guys when it was Johnny P Bucks in the Swinging Utters, it was at Greg's uh, house. He had a house right around the corner in Santa Cruz, and I. Basically, um, I was a skinhead and I was, you know, in Santa Cruz and I'm from Campbell. So, you know, the bravado was, was up a little bit, you know what I mean? Because yeah, when yeah. you're, you're, you're in a different town, you gotta, you know, plus you're meeting these, these heads, you know? And so me, Danny and Gordy, who's, you know, from the forgotten and was the unknown bastard and my fucking road wife for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually most of my life, but, um, we were all, we went to Santa Cruz to, to hang out and party. And I went to, into the Seven Eleven on that corner. I might've touched on this story last time, but I tried to rob that Seven Eleven. And <laughs> I don't um, think you told me this story. Oh, I never, I never told you this one. No. Uh, okay. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> sorry. No, this is like the, I was going to say like last time you told some of the most, Incredible stories. And I knew this one would, this episode would be awesome because we would get to talk about so much stuff. I was interested in musically. I think you've topped the last episode for just amazing stories. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I could fill your episode up with shit stories and now <laughs> robbing a 7 Eleven. Um, there's more. So, there's more, but go on. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So there's a, there's a 7 Eleven right on, on Ocean Avenue uh, as you come into Santa Cruz. And, and Greg had his apartment around the corner. And we were going down to the 7-Eleven, one for Danny to use the pay phone because that's when they still had pay phones and two to buy beer at the, the, the 7-Eleven. And what they used to do in, in California is close the beer cases at I think at like a quarter to two, right? So you couldn't buy beer after a quarter to two and it's about one thirty, So we knew we had time. So I walked into the 7-Eleven and I went into the beer case and the beer case was closed. And so um, I'm waiting in line and there's like about 11 people in front of me. And the guy, I'm like, hey, man, can you open up the fucking beer case? And he's like, beer case is closed. And I'm like, motherfucker. 
So I said, dude, it's fucking, it's one thirty, And I'm shit hammered too. Danny's outside on the phone. Gordy's outside next to him puking because he decided he was going to eat some mushrooms. <laughs> and so it's on me. So I finally, I had this fucking like a, a big gigantic buck, buck knife on me because I always carried a knife. And uh, I got the money in my hand, which is like, you know, enough for a couple 12 packs. And I got the knife in the other hand. And as I as I'm getting closer to the fucking front of the line, and there's still people behind me, I whip out the fucking knife and I got the money in my hand. I said, "Open up the fucking beer case and sell me the beer. I'm gonna slash your fucking throat." That's what I said. He says, "I'm gonna call the cops." I'm like, "Fucking call the cops, man. We'll fucking talk to the cops right now. Fucking, you're breaking the law. You know, I'm just going after him. Whatever. You know, saying whatever." Meanwhile, I probably would have done 20 years. I mean, this is when they were pinching all the skinheads for hate crimes, no matter if you were a fucking uh, a racist or not. That everything, everybody was, we were, the skunks were on a gang file at that time. Um, we, you know, any skinhead, if you, I mean, you would, because this is after the Geraldo show and all this fucking shit. So anybody with a bald head and boots, you know, that was, that you're a racist. It didn't even matter. You know, it didn't. Nobody even fucking, you know, talked to you about it. You know, they just yeah. assumed that you were. So I'm in there hooting and hollering. He's on the phone to the cops. Thank whatever is out there. Odin, Thor, Freya, whoever was looking out for me that day. Danny boy comes walking in. He's done with his phone call. He was calling his Coke dealer. <laughs> um, he sees what's going on. He knows the guy behind the counter. He comes up to me and goes, what the fuck are you doing? I said, man, this fucking asshole closed the beer case. He won't sell me the beer. I got the money right here, Danny. What's the fucking problem? He goes, the knife, you fucking idiot. And I was like, oh. So I, now, I'm, now I'm sort of get sobering up and realizing what I'm doing. And he's like, yo, homie, don't fucking call the cops. He's drunk. He's out of his mind. Let me take care of it. I'll take care of it. And the guy goes, I'm on the fucking phone with him right now. He's like, blah, blah, blah. He's yelling that, you know, we're at fucking Ocean Avenue. We've got an emergency, blah, blah, you know. And Danny's like, dude, please just hang up the phone. I'm going to take care of this. Fuck, it's, it's, it's cool, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the guy goes, never mind on the phone and hangs up. And basically, Danny gets me the fuck out of there. <laughs> and the cops never come. And we go back to the house. And uh, obviously, we, we started drinking the hard liquor. But um, <laughs> the moral of the story is, yeah. is my life would have taken a totally, completely different turn. If Danny Boy hadn't be hadn't been there, I probably would have been doing at least twenty years. I mean, at the time they were the way that they were throwing people in jail, especially skinheads, and um, you know, plus that strong arm robbery. You know, what I mean, regardless if my intentions were good, yeah, um, I probably would have been doing. You probably it probably wouldn't be talking with me right now. Yeah, you know? well, it definitely so, it definitely would not be talking about uh, how the Swing and Utters collaboration came about. And this is exactly where it started. So wow. That, that, was, that was my first introduction to these guys, right? Yeah. So we, we'd known each other, you know, passing. Hey, hey, hey. No, no, nothing like that. They were the only kind of band that was doing that kind of like oi style kind of stuff. But they were way down in Santa Cruz. They were so far removed from even the San Jose scene, even though it's only 17 miles away. Mm-hmm. So they were doing like this, the beach skinheady kind of thing and, and, and with their kind of cool style of music. Then Max the guitar player moved up to San Francisco. He came to a rancid show. We reacquainted our, he says, weren't you the guy? And I was like, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> but, you know. 
And so long story short, me and Max, we just, we, we hit it off thick, thick as thieves. And most of the time I'd be living at Max's house because where I was living, I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't leave after five o'clock. He lived on hate street over here in San Francisco and had a nice apartment. And I just would crash on his floor most of the time. Cause you know, you know, at least you were somewhere where there was, you know, fucking girls and food and whatever, you know, whatever you needed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would normally be staying with him and, um, we just started talking and, and he's like, yeah, you know, what, what do you want to, you know, they started talking about making um, streets of San Francisco and, and I was like, uh, and they're like, we want you to produce it. And I said, okay. Yeah. I didn't even know what the fuck that meant. So, yeah. And then I just started just kind of saying, well, maybe it's the sound. And so I just kind of walked in there with an idea of what I thought it could sound like. And with Darius and all the players, Kevin, the bass player was great. Johnny was a great vocalist. Max, great guitar player. You know, they were all really like, I mean, you know, they were good players and they had that style down. And we just, we went into Andy Ernst's studio and just, we just made that fucking record in like a week. I mean, they had a lot of those songs already kind of written that they've been playing them for a while. And so we just made minor tweaks on some of them. I said, what if we did this here and this here? And they were like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And that's kind of how... How, I don't know how many gigs I got as a result of doing that record, but I got a lot of them, yeah. you know, and I, I, I don't even remember like, you know, really if I thought I knew what I was doing before I was walking in there, you know, I just knew he knew Max knew that I had worked with, with Andy Ernst before with all the rancid demos. Cause that's where we used to record our demos and stuff with, with Andy and at art of years, I believe was the name of the spot. And, um, uh, I just, it just kind of, we just kind of made that record. We had a lot of great times though. It was super fun to make it. You know, I remember the expletive deleted song is probably my favorite track on that record. Um, and, uh, uh was it, uh, no place in the sun is a great song. Yeah. Trying to, what other Jackie songs jab teenage genocide. Oh, yeah. Like- teenage genocide. And that whole, you know, that was, you know, to put that, um, sort of effect on the, obviously the vocal or the guitar. A, a vocal, I think, has the effect, right? Yeah, it was the vocal. Yeah. Is that the end of the song or something? No, it's in the chorus, right? Like, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. go before my time. Yeah. Like, I mean, just I just added little things, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, maybe do that here. Maybe do that here. And that's kind of what they needed and what they wanted, They, you know? And uh, we sped up some of the songs, you know? Like, because some of the songs were kind of a little slower and seemed to lag a little bit. and and then when they kind of sped them up and gave them a kick up the ass, it was kind of like perfect. I remember getting the, you know, the the call from the Dropkick Murphys to do their record. They said, you know, we heard the business record in Streets of San Francisco, and we really want you to fucking, you know, produce our record. And you know, it's just, you know, and you know, I got to produce a couple of records for them, and then Agnostic Front, and even Thirteen. Yeah, that was a fun record. That's an amazing I mean, record. That that was like, I, I love that record. I think that record is is very underrated. Oh yeah, by far, by far. I mean, they 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 just killed it. And that was me and Tim co-production on that one. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we did uh, Redemption eighty seven. Was that? Did you Redemption eighty seven? Yeah, Agnostic Front. Um, I did the shit. I, the last, I, you know, I did. I did so many records. I did Marky Ramone's record. I did. Oh yeah, because that's like there's a no, there's a something you did on punk rock jukebox. And it's like a Ramones cover, but you did it with Marky Ramone, right? No, yes, and that was that was Mark also from Sheer Terror, 
and it was oh. I'm against it. Yeah. 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 No, that that was that was done on ADAC. That's how long ago that was. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and I remember we couldn't find an ADAC. there was one ADAT spot and me and Tim found it like in Berkeley and we went and handled it. Yeah, because that was Mark from Sheer Terror who got that going. Yeah, because I think it but came yeah. out on Blackout Records. Correct. Yeah, and Bill Blackout. He was just in fucking town. I just missed him, but long history with that guy, man. Fuck. I mean, a lot of these people were talking about like they were they shaped who I am today, you know, Bill being one of them. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was just, um, you know, I just, I just got a lot of gigs. I remember when the AF, when AF called, I was, I was excited. I remember I did like 25, 30 productions on records, you know, at the, and I just burnt myself out, you know, yeah. cause I was a stiff little fingers called me and asked me to do a record. And I was like, you know, if you guys are going to make another flags and emblems and it's going to sound like Aerosmith, I'm fucking not interested. I said, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, there's no way I could be held responsible sitting behind the board and watching you make an Aerosmith song. I said, I, I, I would, I would have to kill myself. I mean, you're like one of my favorite bands and I, I just can't, I can't do that. And Jake was understandable. You know, he understood and he's like, okay, cool. Cause they had heard the dropkick stuff that I did. You yeah. Know? And they wanted, you know. And then the business, doing the business record, that's where, you know, I did Pressure Point from there. Um, shit, a lot of, a lot of the OI bands. I was doing Antiheroes. Um, you know, cause that was where my, my sound was. I mean, that's what the Swinging Utters was. It was, they were an OI band. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that was what they were. And that's what I knew. That's what I grew up listening to. So my production was always going to be based in, in that kind of OI sound or, or, uh, you know, if you, if you can even call it a sound, but just, just, you know, that, that was where I was coming from. Like, I think producers, you know, at least in my, my case, I always just try to, 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 if I heard a song and it sounded kind of something similar to a song maybe I heard or by a band is maybe push it towards that direction. You know what I mean? Not steal it, but just, you know, you get what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, all, all the stuff you produced is like, it's all like punk hardcore. Like it's all like hardcore or oi or. You know, yeah. it's, it's definitely like, it's, it's not like you went and did like a pop punk record production wise. Right. No, I would never, and I never would just cause it's just, that's not really my jam, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I, the one band that was kind of, kind of sort of a little bit out of the circle was the heart attacks and they were on, they did one record with Hellcat and primarily the reason why I was there was to keep these fucking crazy Georgia motherfuckers in line. That band is, cra I was going to say, is that the Atlanta band? That is one of the gnarliest groups of human beings yeah, I've ever hung around. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean they they were gnarly, but that was one of the reasons why I, they knew I could make a good record with them. And I think we had Joan Jett on the, one of the songs. Wow. Yeah, because I had recorded her for a Marky Ramone record, and then I said the only girl. Uh, then we, I remember, yeah, because Michael Rosen. Yeah, so I called Joan, you know, Joan Jett, basically, and said, "Hey, do you want to sing on this track?" Well, her management, Kenny Laguna. Yeah, but he was a rad guy, and he, you know, we we were always good friends. So, but yeah, no, um. No, that was the only thing that was a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but they reminded me of like a, like a, a Hanoi or a fucking, um, yeah, dead boys. It's of, to me, it was dead always boy. Yeah, and they even had, had some elements of Slade and, and yeah. sweet to them as well. And, and I mean, that's the shit that I knew, you know, I loved Slade, the sweet and, and any kind of that boot boy seventies glam stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I could get behind. I mean, that was, that was, you know, I was listening to that shit, you know, from my brother, you know, hearing fucking, um, goodbye to Jane and, you know, all that crap. So it's, uh, you know, or Fox on the run, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. it, 
but they kind of had that vibe. And, mm-hmm. and, and also I, I kind of felt that they were like a dead boys, like you said, which is a great, uh, great, um, description of them, but Hanoi rocks. I thought they had this yep. Hanoi thing to them as well as with their song structures, structures, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, they were, uh, definitely, uh, it, like we could do a whole podcast. I'm sure of just exchanging stories from that recording <laughs> session. Cause I have stories from like maybe two hangouts and just what they did to a kid. I know who moved down there to play drums for them for a minute. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. but anyway, uh, but Lars, this has been yep. so much fun. I want to talk to you forever. I could go on. I want to talk about more about swinging Utters and Union 13, but we've talked for a long time and I don't want to keep you for your whole day. Uh, That's cool. But thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no, no problem. I look forward to part three and possibly part four. Oh my God. Are you kidding? We're, we're, we're just at an outcome of the wolves. We're not even at an outcome of the wolves yet. I know. I know. Well, that's the problem. There's so many, I mean, you know, the honestly, dude, like, you know, I've never really opened up about a lot of this shit and you're easy to talk to. So, um, you know, I thought that's going to take a lot of this shit to my grave, especially the shit stories. Maybe I should have actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anytime you want to open up and not just about fecal matter, Lars, I'm always here to talk, buddy. I'll throw you a rope, my brother. I'll throw you a rope. And exactly. <laughs> um, and anytime you want to come on the wrestling podcast, we still got to do that because I know oh, we I will know. do that one that day. Is like the, that's the one thing that I want to talk about, honestly. Like, uh, so that's going to happen. That's going to happen. I'm just, it's going to happen. It will. It will. Happen. But thank you so much, Lars. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lars, for coming on the show. That was awesome. So once again, uh, Lars will be back for a part three or four. You heard him say it right there. And I will gladly be here waiting for him to do a part three and four, whenever he wants, whenever. Because, uh, my gosh, I got more questions. I got tons more questions. Uh, like the last Ramon show. What was it like playing at the last room? Oh, we'll save that. We'll save all that. Speaking of saving something, I've been saving something for a while in preparation for this Turned Out of Punk tour. I've been saving some episodes, some part twos leading up to this tour to kind of highlight the fact that I'm going to be doing a lot of part twos on the road. So next week on the show, it's another part two that I've been waiting to do for a very long time. And uh, I know a lot of people have been waiting for it for a very long time because people have told me and asked me for this one. Next week on the show, Gerard Cosloy, owner of Matador Records, former owner of Homestead Records, owner of 12XU Records, owner of, God, what's the, uh, Conflict Records. Uh, there's more that I'm forgetting on that, of course. Uh, former member of the of Gigi Allen's band, uh, we get into that next week on the show. Next week on the show, Gerard is back for a part two, and it is awesome. He is one of the smartest, funniest people I've gotten to meet in music, one of the most genuine music fans I've gotten to meet in music, which sounds weird to say, but in the music business, there's not as many genuine music fans as one would hope or expect. And Gerard is a music fan's music fan. More on that next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please go over to DamienAbraham.com. Buy your tickets for those shows that are coming up. I can't wait to see you all there. If you're coming out, we'll hang out, have a good time. Uh, got a lot of surprises for those things, too. Just confirmed a, a really neat one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I guess I can't say where it is or ruin the surprise. <clears throat> 
Okay, but anyway, I got a cool surprise. Uh, you can also, you know, find me on Twitter and all that stuff at Left for Damien. You can find us on Facebook, Turn Out a Punk. Uh, check out uh, Vice.com, all the stuff I do over there. Check out FuckedUp.cc, and that's it. I will see you next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, anyone can do this. Go out there and make your own culture. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.